and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be going over the Thunder's latest game against the Orlando Magic. All the tanking that's coincided with the meeting, some of the key players, and obviously what the takeaways will be now for the lottery implications. And to top it all off, I'll be giving you a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But guys, I had a big preview episode for this game yesterday. Typically, I don't do preview episodes by themselves, but I think this one had some standalone value just due to all the stakes that were riding into this one. And basically, long story short, the way this one worked was the loser of the contest moved into the top three for lottery standings. And the way that it works is if you are a top three team in lottery standings, you have the, the exact same stats for the number one pick and a top four pick. It's a 14% cut for number one and a 52.1% shot at getting into the top four. Once you get beyond that though, you start to dip. When you go to the fourth team in the lottery standings, you'd have a 12.5% chance at the number one pick and a 48.1% chance at the top four pick. And one underlying thing as well, there's different degrees to which a team could fall. Like the worst team by the end of the season, their worst outcome would be the number five pick. For number two, it's going to be number six, three, seven, four, eight. You kind of get the gist of things until you get to the very bottom of that board. So a lot is riding on it. And Oklahoma City has been right on the cusp of a top three lottery standing really the entire season. They started guns blazing with SGA to begin the year. Damn near were like 500 for a month or two. And they were having to fight off like a play-in seed. You know, there were times where the Clippers pick had actually been more valuable than the Thunder. So obviously that has changed now, but it's been a long work in progress for them to get to this point. And this was their first chance really all season, at least since it's mattered, that they could slip into a top three seed. But they had to lose to the Orlando Magic, and the Orlando Magic were not going down without a fight. They had some tricks up their sleeve for the injury report. I was covering this yesterday, but you know my predictions actually came into fruition. Wendell Carter Jr. was seen as questionable for the game with an ankle sprain, and they didn't submit uh, that he would be out until like an hour or two beforehand. So they had a very late announcement that Wendell would not be playing. They had another ruling. Gary Harris was actually available to play, but you're missing out on the best player from Sunday's game. He had, what, 31-17? and Nobody could defend Wendell Carter Jr., and they pulled the plug, and you can't blame them. On the flip side, though, Oklahoma City also did the exact same thing. They had SGA as questionable really the entire day, only for them to rule him out about an hour or two beforehand. It got mentioned in the presser by Mark Dagnall. So top players from both respective sides were pulled from the game, and you got to see some pretty unique starting lineups on OKC's end. You had Trey Mann and Aaron Wiggins as that one and two combo. And then you had Alexei Pokushevsky at the small forward spot, Bays at the four, and Isaiah Roby at the five. For the Magic, they had Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton, 
Franz Wagner, Chuma Okiki, and Mo Bamba rounding things out. And for both sides, their rotation was down to single digits. For Orlando, they had a nine-man unit. Same exact story writes itself for the Thunder. So this was a game where you're throwing out all your youngsters. You're giving some experience in there. And even though it's not on their minds, like for a coach, it's not on your mind to be throwing games. For the players, it's not on your mind to be throwing games. But for people viewing, for people in the media, you're kind of looking at this one and highlighting it and really just like glorifying uh, what could be uh, based on one outcome from the game because it does shift from both sides. But to open this game, if you were part of the tank team for OKC this year, you were ecstatic. The Orlando Magic just started mauling the Thunder to begin. They were up 15-4, to just a little bit over three minutes into the game. Mo Bamba was dominant around the basket. They were able to generate some shots as well from downtown. Wagner hit one, Okiki hit one, and on the flip side, Oklahoma City only had one made field goal by that span. Isaiah Roby hit a top of the key three, and he got a foul shot from Darius Baisley. So everything was kind of swaying in Orlando's direction, and it stayed that way, really, the entire first quarter. Now, you had a couple of surges. Isaiah Roby started with seven of the team's first 13 points. Trey Mann, he caught on fire. I talked about how Roby had seven of the first 13. Well, Trey Mann had 11 of the team's first 19 points, and he had 14 in all for the first quarter. In all, though, you didn't have enough firepower. You had two guys in Trey Mann and Isaiah Roby picking up that heavy load, but by the end of 12 minutes, they were down eight points, 34 to 26, and Orlando was just sharing the love. Eight of their nine guys had a bucket in the quarter. For OKC, you only had output from three players. Mann with his 14, Roby with his seven, and Darius Baisley with his five points. So you didn't really have that team aspect going on. And going into that second quarter, you know, if they're looking to win the game, you had to get some production out of them. And that is exactly what they did. Mark Dagnall took the approach of just deploying all of his second unit in the quarter and you had Trey Mann additionally in there for a bit of the home stretch for them for Orlando they kind of mirrored that you didn't see a lot of play from your starting caliber guys you started to see guys tap in for seven eight minutes off the bench and you saw Orlando shoot astronomically low from the field they went six of 23 in the second quarter and one of 10 from downtown and okc capitalized they shot 11 of 20 from the floor 5 of 11 from three and a perfect seven of seven from the line and you had a great point spread vic credgy has been very impressive i've talked about it for over a year on what i think he could be he's turned out pretty close to what I've imagined. And yeah, you have to remember, this is the back end of the season. This might not be the greatest Orlando Magic team he's facing, but he's been a consistent catch and shoot threat since he has started to play post All-Star break. He did that in the second quarter. He went three of four from downtown, had nine points and five rebounds in the stretch. And he was looking like a problem. I mean, just 
simple work for him. They haven't really closed out significantly hard on Credci yet, even though he's shooting, I think, in the high 30s from downtown right now. But just keep the ball going. If they're not going to defend you, that's what he did. And for some of the others, like Teo, he was getting into the motions. He had six points and three assists in the quarter. And by the time you go into halftime, Oklahoma City had mounted themselves back on top. So you go from being down double digits, looking like this was going to be just a clean cut wire to wire victory, to now OKC's up 60 to 53 in the game. Orlando can't buy a bucket. They're shooting 29% from distance. And on the other side, you're shooting 10 of 23 from there. And you're getting a lot of different contributors going into that second half. This is when, you know, the tanking grew might be getting a little bit weary about things really on both sides because it was swinging based on the different lineups you saw out there. But once you got into the third quarter, you started to see some separation. You started to see some interesting moments yet again from the depth chart. On the Magic side, they kept using all nine players in the quarter. You had Jeff Doughton, who, I mean, he's a good player. He has been killing it in the G League, and I love seeing them get opportunities. But he got seven minutes, wasn't all that productive for the starting core. They also were kind of flailing around. And on OKC's side, Mark Dagnall looked to be throwing out his playoff roster. Like, Baisley played all 12 minutes. Trey Mann played the entire time. So did Aaron Wiggins. Only person off the bench who had any real run was Teo. Sar was in for all of 39 seconds, but I really don't want to count that, right? Like, this was the primary unit, and that was it, you know? Because of it, OKC was able to build up a little bit. Was it significant? Not really. They outscored the Magic by three points. It was 24 to 21. Sort of an ugly frame in general. But you go into the fourth quarter looking to close the game out. And for Orlando, they weren't necessarily looking to close the game out. This is when you saw all the cards out on the table for Orlando. And for Oklahoma City you saw that they were still pretty damn serious about trying to tack on a win. Granted, OKC was running the second unit. You didn't see four out of the five starters out there at all in the fourth. And that's because they literally have nine. This is the only way you can do it. But basically, it was the bench unit plus Isaiah Roby. For the Magic, they threw in all the bench guys as well. Jeff Dowden played. Ignace Brogdigas Mo Wagner and Admiral Schofield were just all out there, landed on the line. And yeah, Teo Maldone was the one really laying it out on the line. 17 points for him in the fourth quarter. Nobody could stop him. He went six of eight in the frame, went four of four from the charity stripe. And he was the reason Oklahoma City ended up winning the game. So, For those people hoping Oklahoma City was able to sneak in for that number three seed in reverse standings, wasn't able to come into fruition on Wednesday. Ended up winning the game 118 to 102. That moves Oklahoma City three games back from the Houston Rockets at number one. The Detroit Pistons are now the number three spot in standings. They are one game behind or one game ahead, as I should say, over Oklahoma City, 
and OKC is 21-52 overall on the year. So the 10-game winning streak or losing streak is no more. Maybe it's a winning streak depending on who you ask, but it got slashed. Now they're on a different channel off of the win against Orlando, and their next game is going to be in the Mile High City against the Denver Nuggets on Sunday. They'll get a lot of rest. I'm assuming SGA will play, and I'm assuming some of these pinch guys will be playing as well. They did a hell of a job. I'll be talking about them and some of the other components of last night's game in one second here, but first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers. Then track your results. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any college hoops team to win, and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus age restriction. Restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Moving along though guys, want to touch up on the aspects of the game. Already mentioned kind of the layout of this. This was tank chess from the beginning, from the injury report till the final buzzer. You started to see some of those actions. Now, I'm going to say really on both sides, this was one where it was a, a nicely played game, I would say, the majority of the time. Like, if I'm going to chalk a game up as intentional tanking, there has to be a major discrepancy somewhere. And the discrepancy comes in points. It comes in bench points because Oklahoma City outscored them, like, damn near double. They they actually did. 52-26 to 26 was the margin uh, for their bench unit. But the playtime doesn't really reflect like Orlando throwing out their bench unit the whole game and just like squandering everything. Orlando only had three more minutes of collective bench time than Oklahoma City. And this is kind of adding up all four of the bench players totals on both sides. For Orlando, you ballpark it, it's really like 101 minutes. For OKC, it's 98 minutes. So you didn't see like excessive amounts of bench play in the fourth quarter you did. Oklahoma City, they are probably even worse on this one because they were playing that second unit the entire time. Uh, Orlando had Anthony out there for probably like four minutes before pulling the plug, but they had to match that. And during the first and second quarter, really the whole game, they utilized all nine of their guys. So it kind of makes it to a point that 
I mean, on one end, you're going to save some of your starters from fatigue, but also those runs are just going to get stomped on. Orlando had a double-digit lead with their starting core. They throw out the bench, starts whittling away. By halftime, the bench fails again, and now Oklahoma City's on the high side by seven points. So they had the strategy of kind of mixing everybody in. OKC, they threw everyone out in the fourth quarter. It is what it is. I don't think this is one where Orlando like crossed a line to lose the game. They just didn't have very productive players on their roster. You take a look at really the entire game. I gave you the stat for their bench squad. It wasn't great like at all. Jeff Doughton already mentioned he was great with Lakeland this year. The call-up was well-deserved. This wasn't a good game for him, though. He shot 2 of 8 from the floor, and he played over 30 minutes in the game. Welcome to the NBA, good sir. Ignas Brogdigas, also, he got to play a hefty number here. He shot 1 of 8 from the field and 1 of 5 from 3. Mo Wagner, he's, he's a respectable guy. Like He's been good for multiple seasons. He played off the bench for 25 minutes, had 13 points and 8 rebounds. Good game from him. Then they throw out Admiral Schofield, man. The Thunder training camp attendee, Admiral Schofield. I thought he was going to make the 15-man roster, honestly, uh, back in the last year's camp. Didn't make it. Number one pick in the G League draft, and now he's here. They used their own weapon, Presti's own weapon against him. And they were able to get the loss off of it. He also went 2 of 8 and had 6 points in 23 minutes. So, yeah, like the bench was garbage. If you're looking at plus minus here, it's clear as day the starting five were really feeling it. There was only one player for the Magic that had a negative plus minus in the starting core. That was RJ Hampton at a minus 12. Everyone else was sky high. Franz Wagner at a plus 20. The bench unit... Yeah, not a single one was floating above that plus mark. You had Downton at minus 22, Schofield at minus 26, Wagner at minus 31, and Bras Degas was negative 39. Goodness gracious, man. Like, the bench was just getting mauled by Oklahoma City's side, and you're able to yield some very good production out of them. And you got some good averages off of it too. OKC shot 48% from the floor. They went 17 of 41 from three. That's 41.5%. And they got to the line 30 times. Hit 25 of those. So from all three levels, they were feeling it. For the bench mob, they were excellent. Same story where four out of the five guys um, in that starting group were actually negative in the plus minus. Only one guy was positive for OKC. That was Poku. That bench group, though. Crenshaw, plus 22. Lindy, plus 25. Saar, plus 24. And Teo Maladone at plus 33. He was this game's Josh Hall. If you remember the season finale last season, Clippers, they came around. I think it was an away game. But OKC, they kind of need to lose for the sake of odds. Poku drops 29 points, and Josh Hall gets a 25-point double-double, and that was the last time we saw him in an NBA game. Wow. 
Um, I, I remember listening to like the down to dunk guys in the after moments of that. This was in Twitter spaces, like first became a thing and they were not happy. There were a lot of listeners in there and it, it was kind of reminiscent of like not a Lakers space because a Lakers space is going to be like rated M for mature. You really can't be doing that. I'd say it was like a PG-13 though um, where everyone was really salty about it and that's just how it went. Got to have that unsung hero to to pull out one of these like surprise tank battle wins. Happened to be Teo. And Teo's been good. Like I've really been high on him even this year when he hasn't been playing, but he did great in the G League. I think he still has a knack for cross-court passes. The touch around the hoop has been not great, but I know he has that runner in his arsenal. And if he's able to get the uh, catch and shoot going again, I think he's still a valuable bench player for this team. And he showed why in this one. He matched Hall's total. He had 25 points. That's a season high for him. And he did it on 9 of 13 shooting. 2 of 4 from 3. 5 of 5 from the foul line. 4 rebounds and 6 assists to go along with it. It was easy as cake for Teo to drive inside uh, last night. And... That's great for him. The timing of it. If you're asking a tanker, could not have been worse, man. Like, I would love to see Teo drop 25 points. Situationally, this was one where you might have wanted to put it on the back burner. Give it to me on Sunday against the Denver Nuggets. If he drops 25, I'm jumping for joy. But in a game that for tanking purposes actually swings things more than just one game technically because the Magic are right there, the Thunder are right there. It's going to kind of tally up to like one and a half, two games of potential differences that, that you could kind of crack open there. And yeah, it, it just didn't happen. But for Teo, this was a great game. Like throwing out records, easily his best performance of the regular season. And yeah, the way he's able to attack when he's on, it's pretty damn good. And for Vit Kredci, when he's attacking, he's also great. He shied away from the off-ball play that we kind of saw like two, three weeks ago. You know, like when he first got back over off of his uh, ankle injury, he wasn't doing much outside of maybe a corner three. If not, he was going backdoor and trying to score. He still dabbled into the backdoor play and just cutting in general, but he stuck to the perimeter in this game. And it's kind of a trend where like, I'd say half the games here, he just shoots from three did a hell of a job though. He went four of six to pick up 12 points and he accrued his first double double of his career, 12 points and 11 rebounds. I've always had it on Kredgy where when he was with the blue, he was doing stuff in the showcase prior to the ankle injury. I said like the way he plays is going to translate. Orlando's group was not amazing, but he's had moments against other teams in like the 10 to 15 games we've had since he's actually had time to show off his talents i really like what i'm seeing at least as him as a catch and shoot guy want to see a bit more athletically from him because yeah he's able to drive inside and his layup package is good six foot eight frame and yeah he, he can attack but I want to see him get up and dunk it. Like prior to joining the Thunder, he had the ACL injury with Zaragoza, and it looks like he's lost maybe a, a hint of athletic ability. 
I don't know if it's a major deal because with the blue, he was still digging in. He was intentionally trying to go into defenders to pick up fouls. But I don't know if we've seen the same aggression yet with the Thunder. I think it's going to come in time, though, with him. And so will some of the other aspects of his game. When he was playing with Grant Gibbs, he wasn't a catch-and-shoot player. He was kind of doing it all. Now, he wasn't the point guard at any point. It was Xavier Simpson. It was Trey Mann, Teo when he was there. Just about everybody was sharing a piece of the pie. But he'd be the second or third player in command, and he'd rack up like six or seven assists. Tons of cross-court passes. He was very crafty as a downhill playmaker. He's going to be able to do that with the Thunder, I believe. Just still waiting on the opportunity. And because of it, and just him in general, I don't think he's a point guard. He's more of this small forward where you'll play him kind of at that region, right? But if you're looking towards like position positionless play, he can do it for you because he does have the ball handling ability. He can kick it out. And if this three-pointer is legit going to stay in his arsenal, he'll, he'll be a valuable bench piece. So I really like Krejci. I think that for the value OKC got him for, this was a home run. Even if Krejci's nothing more than a flash in the pan and they get rid of him in two, three years, they gave up like the 53rd pick and not much else, you know? So OKC, they found a gem uh, for his respective spot. Moving past him though, want to touch up on Trey Mann again because he led the starting group in scoring 21 points for him in the game damn i mean there wasn't a giant like two three minute segment like there was against the celtics but he had 14 first quarter points guys like he was still a one-man band and then you start to see him kind of slowly drift away and they didn't play him in the fourth quarter so he was big time and with no sga available no josh giddy available he's the next in line to handle the basketball he's not like the pass first type He's the shot creator type, but my goodness, he he did it. He did it at a very high rate. 7 of 12 from the floor, 3 of 6 from distance, and 4 of 4 from the line. Jordan Clarkson, that's the comparison everyone's given to Trey. Completely understand it just because the handle and his creation at both levels. With that kind of comes the assumption that he's like the sixth man. I still think that's reasonable for him. I don't know if you ever want to really place a ceiling on his game, though. Really want to take that even further because of how he's played lately. He's been averaging damn near 20 points a game the last two weeks. I don't want to say immediately, yeah, the ceiling for him is a six-man. The ceiling is going to be high for a shot creator like him, and he's only 21 years old. I think with SGA and Giddy, though, together... In the starting group, he probably falls as a six-man in the pecking order, but he would be a very damn good one if that's where you want to place the ceiling on him. Just making every opportunity count. He's grinded from trying to work towards minutes to now having minutes for certain. He might be in contention for starting minutes even with a healthy roster right now. Same goes with some other guys. Baisley, he's gotten out of the gutter from his bench spot. He dropped 10 points on the game. He went 2 of 8, which wasn't great. Alexei Pokushevsky, much the same. He had 6 points on 3 of 10 shooting in his 29 minutes. Aaron Wiggins looked good. 
He had eight points. And Isaiah Roby looked amazing as well. He had 21 points in 33 minutes. Really put him under a spotlight. And, you know, the thing with Roby is, like, he'll put up points against the Magic. That's the one trend that's carried over from last year. And just about everything has with uh, Roby from his first real season with the organization. But I remember he dropped 19 points in his first start against Orlando last year. That was his season high. Now he comes back and he drops a 20-point game against them. I know it's a much different matchup. There's no Nikola Vucevic ahead of you. It's Mo Bamba. But I just thought that was a bit funny that that's the team that he goes off against. Like maybe in some realm or in Orlando circles, Isaiah Roby's the Andrew Wiggins, where when you see Roby's on schedule, you're like, oh my goodness, not this guy. Because we know how it is with Thunder fans and Andrew Wiggins. Wiggins, he likes to show off when he heads to Bricktown, and that's about all you got to know about it. He is a lethal, lethal man. Also lethal play from Waters and Saar. Waters had seven points. Saar had eight. Looking to carry it over and make another statement against the Denver Nuggets and Nikola Jokic. I'm going to guess SGA's back. I really couldn't give you a read on anybody else here. Curious what's up with Jeremiah Robinson Earl because the metatarsal injury has probably been like four going on five weeks now. And the initial assessment was he'd be out three weeks and they'd reevaluate and go from there. I don't know if we've heard any statements on it, but seeing a little bit more of him to close the year would be cool. Safety has to be number one priority though. If it's still nagging, do not want to risk it closing out the year. Don't want to risk a lot of wins either. If you're a tank in here, they could get close to getting into the top three. And with prospects at the top and Chet, Paulo, and Jabari, even Jaden Ivey making a name for himself, you want to stay close to the top going into draft lottery day. But that's going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.